And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Ed Cathy, Senior Pastor of Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church in California, Maryland. Uh, Pastor Cathy, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, thank you for taking the time to uh, have this interview today, Dan. I appreciate it. We were uh, exchanging a couple of texts offline before this interview, and you were pointing out to me that um, some folks celebrate, I had never heard of this, something called the Circumcision of Christ, and there's actually a date uh, assigned to that. And so um, today we're going to peel the layers of the onion, God willing, of why that would be and what does it point to and all of that. So um, maybe you can get us started. Why would a church celebrate the, <laughs> the circumcision of Christ? Seems a little funny at first blush. Right, yeah. Um, I thought, well, you know, that's just something that some of these churches um, have long lists of holy days, and so almost every day in their calendar has got some significance attached to it. I thought maybe it was just that, but um, I was very surprised when I came across uh, the circumcision of Christ in a Reformed confession. And the Reformed confession I'm thinking of was actually advocating that it's a good thing to remember and celebrate the circumcision of Christ. And so uh, I was very surprised about that. The, um, the confession I'm thinking of is called the Second Helvetic Confession, and it was written in collaboration with uh, some of the other Reformers, like Martin Bootser, but it was written by Heinrich Bullinger in 1562. And there he, um, he crafted these 30 articles, which he revised a little bit later and finally attached to his last will. The document uh, known as the Second Helvetic Confession was published in 1566 and is the official creed of the Swiss cantons of the Protestant cantons or counties is what they are, more or less, uh, in Switzerland. And it was also adopted uh, in some other countries, too. Well, that's fascinating. And um, I think you had a, a word for word quotation there of that particular part of the confession. Yes, um, I'm thinking particularly, and this was such a surprise to me to see it, of chapter 24 of his uh, confession and the paragraph about holy days. And here's what it says, very surprising. The festivals of Christ and the saints is the topic. And it says, moreover, if in Christian liberty, the churches religiously celebrate the memory of the Lord's nativity, that would be Christmas, and then it says circumcision, passion, resurrection, and of his ascension into heaven, and the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, we approve of it highly. And I was like, wow. And I, of course, you, you think right away, well, of course, the Lord's nativity, it's Christmas, his passion, that's his death, his resurrection, Easter. Mm-hmm his ascension into heaven, and the sending of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. But then this one, circumcision, was thrown <laughs> in right after nativity. And I thought, what on earth? Why would we do that? So there it is. That's amazing, yeah. Um, yeah. I became more aware of, of the importance of celebrating his ascension 
some years ago, as we increasingly had fellowship with some churches in the uh, United Reform Church group, and it's a very, very healthy uh, celebration of his ascension because, you know, he's being enthroned as king, and uh, that is just so important. But uh, this one is yes. is quite interesting to celebrate his circumcision. Now, um, right. is, is there is there more written about that? Um, and also, um, why was this so surprising? I <laughs> can't resist asking that. Well, I I really hadn't thought that there was much significant about the fact of his being circumcised, except that he was simply um, under the law, you know, yeah. in the sense of keeping the law. His parents did what was the custom of the law, which was commanded back in, in Genesis 17, that Abraham um, and his descendants, male descendants after him, would be circumcised. Um, and that that was the sign of the covenant. That was the sign of their membership in the covenant people. And um, and then uh, more recently, I've been preaching in the book of Joshua, and I came across the fact that the generation that came out of Egypt, because of their unwillingness to go right on into Canaan, um, they they were afraid and didn't believe and and so forth. Uh, That generation spent 40 years in the desert, and that whole generation of those who came out of Egypt died. And um, so now this new generation is going into Canaan, and before they get there, they have to be circumcised. The men have to be, and the boys, all have to be circumcised at a place called Gilgal, right after they cross the Jordan River. Um, before they could proceed any further, God said, and I can read it to you, um, Joshua 5 says uh, that God commanded this generation to be circumcised before proceeding any further. Uh, says in verse 4, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And it goes on to talk about that. Um, and you think, what's the big deal? And I even <laughs> asked that question in this sermon. Um, I asked the question, uh, why is this necessary? Is this really necessary? You know, it just seems like a ridiculous thing. But it was that God wanted his people to bear a distinctive sign to set them apart from the nations as his own people, especially uh, apart from the Egyptians and the Canaanites who were, in practice, uncircumcised. And he also wanted his people to be reproductively healthy because he wanted them to multiply in great numbers. Mm. And I I did a little research on on this, and although, although it's certainly not religiously required for Christians, and that you know, the Apostle Paul makes that very, very clear in, oh, yeah. in uh, Galatians. But the CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control, and the Mayo Clinic have concluded that the procedure really does prevent disease, especially in poor countries where hygiene is lacking. Hmm. And so, um, and that was certainly their case back then. So um, it was an interesting thing. Well, it is. But even then, um, I thought, what else is important about this? Um, they, so they're supposed to bear this sign, but we really see 
the greater significance when we come to Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, to male and female members, he says this. He says, for in him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We, that makes sense, right? And then verse 11, in him you were circumcised hmm. with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Hmm. You think, wow. So I guess maybe the circumcision of Christ is important, and we were, we are united to him in the circumcision of Christ. Then it tells us what that is, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And so we start to see a picture here that the circumcision of Christ as an infant is connected deeply to what happened to him on the cross. And Paul is making a point that he was cut off. So the cutting off of the foreskin at infancy of Jesus is connected to his being cut off, the shedding of blood back then, and then his being cut off with a greater shedding of blood at the cross for our sins, cut off from, from God's people, uh, cut off because of our sins. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's really significant. And um, it was also uh, quite interesting that you mentioned earlier, the, uh, under Joshua, this new generation, um, they had to be circumcised. And it's like uh, God didn't forget what his um, covenant sign was. And for these people to be successful going forward, they had to um, come under the lordship of King Jesus and bear his sign and seal. I think that's fascinating that God has this requirement and then the people wake up and they realize and then they they obey. (laughs) Right. And without, without being consecrated in this way, uh, they weren't going to win one battle. They weren't That's going right. to take any territory because God said, no, uh, this is my sign. And it's not just a sign of who you are. It's a sign of what I'm going to do for you. I'm giving yeah. you this land, which was always the promise, yeah. made way back to Abraham. And uh, today we're talking with Pastor Ed Cathy. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, people are kind of wired in a way such that um, we we automatically want signs and, and such. Um, I'm thinking of um, an army, let's say, um, a modern-day army. There are certain um, signs that the army has, the Navy has, <laughs> the, the Air Force, and when you see that, you say, oh, he's part of the army, he's part of the Air Force. Um, I guess it's kind of all over the place as we kind of think about it. Right, it's a sign of your identity and of your particular calling. Um, and uh, so we have something like that. And of course, for Christians, it's baptism. Right. Um, 
we can sometimes think, well, what's the significance of that? You know, um, water and the word of God, uh, the triune name of God, but it's very important because uh, God sees it. Uh, yes. We may not even remember when it happened to us, but God sees it, and he says, you're mine. Pastor Ed, I'm wondering, too, uh, in countries where there's severe Christian persecution, I'm thinking that the sign of baptism is seen by the enemies of Christ as a very serious sign. Yes, indeed. Um, some, some years ago, I took a course about Christian world mission, and there's this, there was a movement that was described of secret believers in the Muslim world who really do trust in Jesus as their Messiah, but the big issue is whether they will come public and be baptized. Right. Because uh, they're afraid of, well, they could lose their life, but also some of them are saying, I, I want to stay in my community, and I'm afraid I'll be put out if I, well, sure. if I receive the sign of baptism. And uh, I don't think there's any choice, really. No, it, and is it true, I believe it is, that baptism is intended by God to be a very public sign? Yes, it's always um, done uh, in the congregation, in worship. It's not something done privately. So, um, yes, it's definitely to be a sign that's seen at the time and then remembered uh, going forward. How many people have you baptized in your lifetime? This is a kind of random question, but I, I just popped into my head. I wonder how many there have been. Well, I've been in the ministry 35 years, and I certainly cannot tell you how many persons I've baptized. <laughs> I have baptized, I have baptized uh, numbers of youth, uh, infants, and adults. Uh, and I've also baptized in more than one mode, believe it or not. I, mm -hmm. I'm quite willing to baptize people uh, by immersion, even though Presbyterians typically baptize by sprinkling. But I'm willing to do it uh, at the request of a person, as long as they don't make it um, a test of fellowship and faith. Sure, uh, sure. That only their way is the right way. And uh, so, sure. Mm -hmm. I've wondered, too, um, this is also kind of a random question, I've wondered, too, that um, isn't there a lot to recommend pouring as we think about the Holy Spirit pouring out upon his people? Oh, yes. Um, that's very clear in Acts. The Holy Spirit is poured out on his people. Uh, he's, he washes them, he cleanses them, and certainly that's a pouring kind of an act. Um, uh, in Isaiah 52, he said he would sprinkle the nations, so that's also very clear. Um, and, and then um, Romans 6 talks about being going down, uh, being buried with Christ, right. and uh, that could depict um, immersion. Mm -hmm. um, so it's certainly not uh, ruled out, no. although it's not the practice of, of Reformed churches generally. Yeah. Now, uh, we got into this discussion today by you pointing out that some churches uh, celebrate the circumcision of Christ, and you pointed back to uh, this interesting quotation from the Second Helvetic Confession um, by Bullinger that, that talked about um, celebrating, religiously celebrating, the, the memory of the Lord's nativity, 
his circumcision, his passion, resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, and the sending of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the disciples. And uh, at the time of this writing, uh, they said, we approve of it highly. <laughs> um, now, yes. now I, I wanted to pick up, go back just a second, and that is why, I may have missed it, but others may have missed it, why is this so surprising that this would be laid out this way and say, um, we're going to celebrate this. Why is that such a surprise? Well, I think it's a surprise since many of the Reformers um, were against all the calendar of holy days and having them required for the churches, making a list of, you've got to be here to celebrate this, you know, obligations. And you might remember that Heinrich Bullinger's statement is, if in Christian liberty the churches want to celebrate these, we highly approve. In Christian liberty. So that's a very key thing. It is not a requirement. Um, It is something that can be done in Christian liberty. But I think um, it ought to be at least remembered, and I'll give you a a quote from another Reformed, um, a modern Reformed commentator, which will, I think, clench it. It did for me. His name is Nick Batzig. Have you heard of him? No, I don't think I have. Okay, he's a contemporary guy and very good. Let me um, let me just read to you what he says about, he's commenting on the Colossians passage that I mentioned earlier. He says this, Circumcision is the act of cutting away the filth of the flesh, also representing the dual promise of the covenant. In the covenant, God promised blessings and cursings. The removal of corruption of the sin nature was the blessing promised, and the cutting off from the people of God, from the presence of God, was the promised curse. If the demands of the covenant were not met, even the circumcised man would be cut off. And then throughout the history of redemption, the curse was reiterated in temporal and typical forms, just as Adam and Eve were cut off, there it is again, from God. God promised to cut off the people for disobedience in Numbers 15. Then he says this, The sign of the covenant showed forth both the merciful act of cutting away the filth of the heart, as well as the justice of God in cutting off the covenant breaker. Hmm. And then Jesus was cut off. This is Isaiah he's quoting. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living because of the transgressions of his people. In his bloody death, he underwent the ultimate circumcision. He underwent everything that circumcision represented. He was cut off so that we might have our hearts circumcised. And then he says, the covenant is broken by each and every descendant of Adam. It is only by the cutting off of the second Adam that the blessings of the covenant might be applied to the elect. The Apostle Paul in Colossians speaks of the circumcision of Christ, and this is the circumcision of our hearts by union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. When he died, they died. When he was buried, they were buried. When he rose, they rose. When Paul speaks of the reality of believers' union with Christ, he does it in light of what? 
the covenant signs signify. And then that quote again, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. So I think that is a great statement of the real significance and the reason why it's worth remembering. Yeah. I'm also thinking about in uh, biblical history way back, there was this account, I'm sure you remember it, where um, they're making a journey, I think husband and wife, and they're stopped by an angel who's about to kill them Mm -hmm. because... Can you, can you recount that story to us? Yes, I think so. Uh, this is, I believe it's Moses and Keturah. <laughs> um, I don't have it in front of me, so if I get that wrong, please sure. um, forgive me. But I think it's Moses and his wife, and she is from a different tradition. Mm-hmm. She's, a, I think she was a Midian or something like that. Uh, Yeah, she was the daughter of the priest of Midian that Moses met when Mm -hmm. he was away, you know. And uh, she didn't have this tradition of circumcision. (laughs) Right. And so she didn't want to do it. She didn't go along with it. And an angel met them on their way and was about to kill Moses. Text tells us. Yes. And somehow she got the message that her husband was going to be killed if she didn't go through with circumcising the baby boy. And so uh, she did. And she said something like, uh, I am a bride of blood. Yeah. Uh, Because she didn't like, she didn't (laughs) like the whole thing. You're a bloody man to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That, that's, that's, that kind of stuck in my mind. I, I forgot the details of it, but what stuck there was that how seriously, uh, in that case, as well as the case that you cited of Joshua and the new generation, how seriously God takes his signs and seals of his covenant. Yes, indeed. And uh, someone has asked me uh, at times, you know, is baptism really necessary? And our confession, our Westminster Confession, says that it's not necessary, although it is a great sin to condemn or neglect it. But it is important. Right. Isn't it kind of like you have a father, and he says, I, I want you to do thus and so, and the little kid says no. And as soon as he says no, that becomes rebellion. You know, if we put up our arms yeah. and say, no way, I'm not going to do this, um, then it becomes extremely serious because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's right. And when, especially when we're, it's a rebellion against the direct command of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty serious. Well, this is a yeah. fascinating discussion today, and um, uh, today we've been talking with Pastor Ed Cathy. Dr. Ed Cathy is a senior pastor of Grace and Peace Presbyterian Church in California, Maryland, and very close friends of us here at Redeemer. We appreciate the church, and from the very beginning, when WXMD was launched in that area, uh, the church got behind and and helped us, and uh, to this day, we partner together in getting out the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Ed, in the last minute remaining, if someone wants to read more, uh, maybe a reading recommendation, and also if they'd like to visit your church on Sunday, uh, what time and location is it? Well, I'll give you the uh, data about the church. Um, It is located 
about a quarter mile off of St. Andrew's Church Road, Route 4, and about halfway between Route 235, which is Three Notch Road, and Route 5, which is Point Lookout Road. So it's kind of halfway between California, Wildwood area, and Leonardtown area. The address is 22646 Benswood Road. So if you're doing Google, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's California. And uh, our service times are 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. And so um, we welcome everyone and anyone to uh, worship with us. And uh, I don't have a reading uh, recommendation on this, although a good commentary on the book of Colossians would be uh, something that would help uh, cement those ideas. But I do have something I'd like to close with, Dan, if I may. Oh, sure. This is um, this is the prayer that is prepared for the first Sunday in January, or January 1st, I should say. And it is called the Circumcision and Holy Name of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's mm-hmm. the prayer. It says, Almighty God, whose blessed Son was circumcised for our sake in obedience to the covenant of Abraham, and given the name that is above every name, Give us the grace to faithfully bear his name, to worship him in the spirit given in the new covenant, and to proclaim him as the Savior of the world, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Oh, amen. Beautiful prayer. and Pastor Ed Cathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, my pleasure, Dan. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 